I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 165. Well, a highlight of our week has been meeting Ashlyn, one of the Creepinati members. We got to have dinner with her. I know. It was so refreshing to actually meet somebody during a fucking pandemic. I know. I know. Thank you to vaccines. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it makes me want to do meet and greets. It won't, it, you know, it's just like, oh, someone new. Yeah, I'm really tired of looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was weird, like, because I'm such a hugger. And I was like, oh, yeah, hug. Oh, shit. Maybe she didn't want to hug, you know, mm-hmm. just because, like, that's me. And so, like, I was just like, come to me with open arms. <laughs> like, yeah. When she came through the door, I was like, whoop. And I was like, oh, shit. It's pandemic, Donna. Like, maybe she's like, uh, no. Yeah, I don't want to hug you. Yeah. If y'all are in the Facebook group, y'all know that we had a cheesecake. And clearly lots of it. Mm-hmm. Lots of sugar. Because we were rowdy, rowdy, bowdy, bowdy. And we did a Facebook Live right after that. And it was like going to be 10 minutes. And it turned into an hour. And it wasn't just me this time. Yeah, I was fucking lit. At one point, they needed subtitles because they couldn't understand me because I was laughing, but still trying to talk because, see, me, Carrie, and Tiffany, we can understand that because we've been around each other way too long. So I'm just used to people being able to... Well, but that doesn't really carry over, like, into a... Well, not really carry over. What's the word? Like, translate into a mic very right, well. Right, right. Oh, but then that made me laugh even harder because they couldn't understand me. I mean, I was basically that watermelon sugar. Hi. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, Only God. no watermelon cheesecake. <laughs> Funnel fries. <laughs> they just got a glimpse of what everybody that's on Patreon gets every freaking month when they get a Facebook Live from us. That's very true. People like. Oh, God. See what I did there? That was bad. That was so good. You got my high-pitched voice. That was so good. <laughs> Well, because you said, people like, that was weird. Oh, people like Margarita J from New Mexico. Kim B from Tennessee. Risa T from Oregon. Madison P from Michigan. Joy H from Vermont. Crystal H from Kentucky. Olivia W from South Carolina. Tiffany A from Tennessee. Latasha A from West Virginia. And Melanie G. We don't know where she's from. So, Melanie, if you're listening and you want your thank you card, uh, let us know so we can mail it to you. Because we don't know your address. Yeah, we don't know your address. And it's cool if you don't, you want to be unknown. They just from Earth. Right. Maybe not. Maybe that's why they don't have an address. So, if you want a monthly Facebook Live with us where there's no telling what kind of shenanigans we're going to be getting into, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. So, for my story this week... We're going to head over to Australia. We're going to talk about the Edwards family. The Edwards family was made up of the dad, Ian. The mom is Marguerite. And they have three daughters, Camilla, Brianna, and Skye. The Edwards were the quintessential family. If you believe, I think it was uh, Calgary. It was somewhere in Canada. But uh, the Watts would be the quintessential family, too, did you see that? That they yes, used it they for used Mother's their picture. Day? Yes, they used their picture. 
And it was like, um, you should probably find another picture. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for Mother's Day, too. Yeah, that was, like, whose idea was that? I don't and, know. And how did they find, like, how did that company's marketing find that picture and not know who they were? Right. Like, how did you stumble upon that family <laughs> photo and not go, oh, that's attached to a fucking family murder? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm like, whoa. Ian worked as an orthodontist, but I also heard him called a dentist. So some sort of dental care. But I think he also did dental surgery, too. So... Also, unsure if maybe just the terminology is different there. And it's like, okay, he was like a oral surgeon, you know, because they yeah. said that he would do like oral surgery. So here in America, we have it separated between like oral surgeons, orthodontia that does like the braces and the, you know, all of that. And then you just have your dentists that do, well, they still do surgeries too, but mm-hmm. it's not like reconstruction kind of thing, right. you know, so Maybe he was more like a dentist, but they just said orthodontia. Yeah. Someone who knows more words, let me know. Marguerite was a very active stay-at-home mom who was well-known in the community, who did a lot for her kids, and like I said, was just was really involved with like PTA type stuff within the school, and then she had these exercise classes that she attended and all of that. They lived in a very affluential neighborhood called Woolara, which is just outside of Sydney. And on the evening of August 1st, 1989, Marguerite was reading the newspaper and just reading these horrible things that were happening to these families in the area. And she told Ian, our life is too perfect. Like, almost like something's going to happen. The next morning, August 2nd, 1989, it started out as a normal day for the family. Ian got up and went to work, and Marguerite got her three daughters up and ready for school. At this time, the daughters were 14, 12, and 10 years old. After Marguerite took the girls to school, she went to her gym class and then went home, took a shower, did some chores around the house, and then... She had some shopping and some other things to do that day. Her original plans for the day were to eat lunch with Ian, but he was just too busy that day, backed up with patients, and he couldn't make it happen. So he just sent his nurse out to get him a sandwich and then just went back to work right at 1 and worked the rest of the afternoon. That afternoon, when it came time to pick the girls up from school, they're sitting out waiting on her, and Marguerite never shows up. So the girls are just waiting and waiting and waiting. Their friend's parents are telling them, she'll come. She's not going to miss picking y'all up. I'm sure she got caught up doing something and just running a little late. Marguerite was a type that she was the first in line. This, is, this was unlike her to be late, period, much less just not show up. Yeah. Sky calls the next door neighbor and says, look, mom hasn't come pick us up. Can you please come get us from school? She goes and picks the girls up from school. And when she brings them home, they see that Marguerite's car is at the house and the door's open. Some things say that the door was open. Some things say that they opened the door, but 
they walk inside and they see a broken chair in the hallway and some blood in the kitchen. Oh. So the neighbor immediately says, let's go, girls. Let's go back over to my house. And they call in and say, something's wrong. Maybe the discrepancy of the door is just that some people say, like, the door's open. That mean that it's actually, like, open, a jar. Open, it's unlocked. unlocked. Yeah. Which it was unlocked. I do know that for a fact. Okay. I was just trying to think. Because, you know, I mean, how many times do we say, oh, come in, the door's open. Right. You're right. That's just probably it. I do know for a fact it was unlocked. Ian gets to the house very quickly because his practice is just over a mile away from the family house. He goes inside and... Before he even gets to the house, he says that he had the feeling that she was dead. He goes inside and he sees everything that they had seen before. He walks upstairs and he goes into the bedroom and he finds her body. He picks up her hand and checks for a pulse and there's no pulse. Once he starts outside, the police are beginning to arrive And he goes to the girls and he says, this is the most difficult thing I will ever have to say to you. Your mother has been killed. I'm such a cynic because I'm like, no, it's not because then you're going to tell him that you killed her. Well, a lot of people thought it was Ian. Mm. You know, I just write movies in my head while you're talking about this. Mm -hmm. When they get there, police see that Marguerite had been severely beaten and strangled by one of Ian's neckties. Okay. They, of course, question the family to see what information they can glean of what... Did you have a word of the day? (laughs) Glean? Yeah. I mean, I know that's a word. I've heard it on detective shows that, like, Edgar Allan Poe could have written. (laughs) (laughs) Never in my life have I heard you say it. But go ahead. Go ahead with your essay over here. (laughs) A, just for that word. A. (laughs) So, uh, right-click thesaurus that. (laughs) So, detectives are asking the family to see what information they can find out. Thank you. About Marguerite's life and what enemies she may or may not have. Like, what happened here? Yeah. Because... Aside from her wedding ring and her watch missing, there's nothing else that they can find that's missing from the house. And it doesn't look ransacked, really. And so it's like, what's the motive here? They're, I mean, they're thinking robbery because, Mm-mm. well, they think robbery. But no, anytime that the two major things that you could find is the wedding ring and the watch or bracelet, or whatever that the person's wearing, that's all that was taken? Mm-mm. Not a robbery. Even if it was ransacked a lot, you can tell if it's just, like, pushed over furniture. Right. Whatever, to be like, ooh, I'm going to cover up my tracks. Well, and to be fair, Marguerite had really fought for her life. And so there was stuff that was knocked over because you could tell, I mean, it was truly a fight for her life. And so there was some of that because of just how hard she fought. Yeah. I really hope I would fight for my life. I mean, I never want to have to do that. But I get tired real easily. 
Right. I do not have the endurance for that. I mean, folding clothes. Makes your arms tired. Yeah. For sure makes my back tired. Don't make me do dishes. My back will hurt. Oh, back hurts already. But yeah, it's because I have a belican. And she means her stomach, y'all. Yeah, I mean my stomach. Look, she says glean, I say belican. <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe I am a pe- I'm peasant. <laughs> um, but so like if I'm doing a shirt and stuff, I have to hold it out a little bit further, and I got short arms. I'm a T Rex doing laundry with I don't know a dragon belly. I feel like they have dragon the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but almost. <laughs> That was a good one. Thank you. I mean, okay. you, you teed it up for me. <laughs> it's not dragging the floor, but I had to go there. Yeah. Oh, God, that was good. <laughs> that was real good. Man, I, I hate that I didn't get that. I didn't glean it from there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when the police talk to Ian, he is dumbfounded. He says that their life is perfect. Well, was and that they got along wonderfully. They've been married over twenty years, and they had no problems in their marriage. There was no infidelities. There was no arguments. There was no anything, and that she had no enemies that he knew of, and he really had no idea who could have done this to her. About six months before Marguerite was murdered. Ian was having some premonitions about her death. He said that one time when he was out jogging, he was imagining that she had died and that there was a court case and a man was put in jail for it. And I don't think that was the first time that he had had some sort of premonition about her passing at the hands of another. So his premonitions, are they like our conversations with ourselves? And he was really just like... Okay, so when I kill her, I'm going to have to cover my tracks and I might go to court. And this is, you know what I mean? He was like planning it, but he was like, it's premonition. Because, you know, we have conversations all the time. Speak for yourself. Just kidding, I do too. But what he did do, though, was, I don't know if it was because of these premonitions. The few articles that I read kind of alluded to the fact that it was because of this. He did install a pretty hefty security system on the house because he did have some fears. I thought you were going to say he took out more insurance and I was going to say, okay, no, 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 no. ring-a-ding-ding. I have premonitions of this person dying, this person dying, this person, and I'm going to buy, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, no. no. He he had a a pretty like state-of-the-art security system. Okay, okay. Although, if it worked perfectly all but that one day. Well, Police are pretty much at a standstill as far as anything with the family goes. I mean, they know that when someone dies in their home like that, it tends to be someone that you know, Mm -hmm. especially the fact that the door was open slash unlocked and they have this state-of-the-art security system. So how in the fuck? But as they looked more at Ian, they said, okay, well... He was supposed to have lunch with her that day, and he said that he was too busy, so he sent his nurse out to get him food. So, although he had the alibi that he was at work all day, 
There was a time while his nurse was out getting lunch that he was by himself. And Ian was an athlete. He was a runner and would often go on runs during his lunch break. And remember, his office is like 1.3 miles away from his house. So a really fast runner, if it was somebody who ran every single day during lunch, he could easily run that in 10 or 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. So me, 10 or 11 hours. Yeah. You know. There and back 20 minutes. Yeah. So police were like, okay, how long was the nurse gone? Could he, was he physically capable of making that run, having time to kill her, clean up himself, make the run back and be back in time to see his one o'clock patient? So a couple of officers really did it, like ran from his office to his house and back and tried to plot out, okay, was there enough time for him to do this? And there wasn't. It was impossible for him to have done that in the amount of time that the nurse was gone, just basically around the corner to get him a sandwich. Not to mention the fact that he was ready to see patients at one o'clock and his normal self like did not appear to have just gone on a run, much less on that intense of a run yeah so police are like okay we know that he didn't do it himself physically but they weren't ruling out that okay could he have hired it done so they're not completely ruling him out but they're ruling him out as the one that actually killed her the only other lead like air quotes around lead that police had was that in the past year the Edwards had been remodeling their house. And so they were like, okay, was it one of like the contractors, tradesmen, people who had come in to work on the house? Was it one of them that maybe wanted to come back and rob them? But Ian didn't know anybody because Marguerite was the one that handled all of that. So he was like literally no help to police being like, I don't know who came and who went because I was at work. She literally handled it all. So I don't know. So police did some checking, but like the nature of those jobs is it's tends to be like a cash business. And it's like, they don't have, you know, those jobs don't tend to keep good records of like, Oh, this is who worked with me on this job. And I paid them this much because it's like under the table work. Right. Also, I feel like they would have taken more and, would have stayed more downstairs because she was upstairs, presumably in her bed. No, because remember, there was blood and stuff downstairs too. So she oh, was okay. attacked downstairs. Oh, okay. And then, like, I don't, we don't know, like, did she run up there? Was she taken up there? Oh, okay, okay. We don't okay. know, but it started downstairs. Okay, okay. Never mind. I mean, this was like middle of the day. Yeah. At this point, there's, not, again, still not a lot of leads, and people are talking. People are gossiping about Ian and did he do it. They know that the police have ruled him out, but that's not stopping gossip. His partner in his business of 17 years just up and quits. He's like, we're ending the partnership, like, I'm out. Like, this is too much. I don't know if he was just like, I can't trust you. Like, you're basically a suspect, but not a suspect. But your wife was just murdered. Like, I want out. Yeah. 
but Ian and the girls did the best that they could to just go back to normal. Their new normal. Exactly. Ian had a lot of history in sports psychology, and so he really tried to use that to help him and the girls get through this. And basically, after it happened, he went back into the house and he was like, okay, I have to be able to go. If I'm going to be in this house, I have to be able to go back into the bedroom. And the bedroom was their place of love and they were so happy. And he said, I have to be able to be in this bedroom where she died and be okay. And when he first walked in, it was horrible. And he describes like feeling this, like the worst migraine pain of his life. And then he goes on to say that he kind of came to terms with it and started to make peace with it and brought the girls in and using that sport psychology of, okay, you have to take the environment out of it. So when you look at an athlete, okay, let's say a batter who is having a hard time like focusing on batting. Well, they have to be able to take the crowd out, have to be able to take the heat out, the whatever, you know, the uncomfortable dirt. I don't know, I'm making up some stuff now. But so for them, they had to be able to take the fact that she died in that bedroom. If they were going to live in that house, they had to be able to not avoid the upstairs. He said, I didn't want the kids to only be downstairs. I wanted them to be able to go upstairs and to come into this bedroom. Yeah. He said, so the first thing that we did was we all went into the bedroom and I made them all in their words, tell me what happened to their mother. And then over the first, you know, few weeks, I don't remember how long it was, they all slept in that bedroom together so that they kind of forced themselves to deal with it instead of it being this like taboo closed off place. No, is this place where we're coming together as a family and we're dealing with our trauma and our hurt and we're doing it together. And the girls went back to school quickly and he went back to work quickly because he said, it doesn't do us any good to sit here and sulk. We have to move on. And he says, it was hard as fuck. He didn't say fuck, but it was hard as fuck. And there were moments where you break down and you lose your shit, but we did what we had to do to survive. The sleep in there is a little weird for me, not because of that being where she died, just, I don't know. There's a really great episode of this podcast called No Filter, and in the episode, the host interviews Ian. From prison? (laughs) Not gonna tell. But she interviews Ian, and if you listen to him talk about it... It makes total sense. And the way he talks about how it helped the kids cope and like the logic behind it, it makes complete sense. Again, I'm going to eat my words because if it's not Ian, this poor guy, I'm like, of course it made sense because he's very manipulative and a bullshitter. Like, yeah. (laughs) Why? Why am I like that? Because you do a paranormal and true crime podcast. Yeah, true. We literally are like training to cut through like bullshit manipulation. Yeah. And it's gotten us to the point where we don't believe anyone. Anyone. Well, (laughs) besides all the fuck boys in my life. 
<sighs> the kids did really well in spite of what had just happened to their mother. I mean, again, obviously, they had their moments where they're dealing with the death of their mother, the murder of their mother, where at this point, there's no resolution to it because no one's been caught and people are still gossiping about their father. But they went on, Ian took on the role of mother and father. And, you know, he kind of attributes the girls just kind of keeping the status quo because he said they didn't argue a lot. They didn't, they were just good kids. And he attributes that to maybe they were just kind of minding their P's and Q's so that he didn't break down, you know, but again, they were just trying to survive. The police did have two witnesses that said that they heard screams coming from the house around 1.30. But that was all they had as far as witnesses or anything that put like a timestamp on it. The other thing that they had was a towel from the house that had some blood on it that wasn't Marguerite's. But it's 1989, and while they were starting the DNA process, there's not like a, oh, let's just run this in a database. Data and database at the same time, (laughs) and that's the word you get what I just said. (laughs) Also, though, can we go back to Screams at 1.30, and they were ixnaying Ian out because at lunch, he couldn't have made that back and be back by his one o'clock appointment. Mm-hmm. Like, that's time out of whack. Yeah, but somebody's clock could have been wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. You never know. Like, you still have to, mm-hmm. I mean, you still have to test it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, either way, like, if they think he did it that way at one thirty. Yeah, well, because, but no, because he had patients literally the rest of the afternoon. So he did not leave work for sure because he saw like back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back patients. So it it definitely wouldn't have been him. The only time he could have done it would have been that lunch hour before 1 o'clock. Yeah. But you still have to check it just in case somebody's clock had been off. Because if they, what if they would have been like, oh, well, they said one thirty Because I feel like we have had that before oh, where sure. it's like, well, their clock was still set to... Uh, fall backwards time, whatever that is. <laughs> Daylight savings? Yeah, that. Yeah. See, why does my brain do this? Like, again, I write a Lifetime movie every fucking time because I'm like, okay, well, did they check and make sure that every patient was seen? Because... Yes, because they also corroborated, like, with his nurse and all of that. Okay, he did not leave. They checked his alibi for sure. Okay. You're trying to make fetch happen. Yes, I am. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, Ian did not go into that house and kill her. Look at Carrie. Sneaky, sneaky. Okay. Then in 1991, so two years after the murder, police finally get a breakthrough. There's this guy that's in jail in Sydney. His name is Christopher Lorenzo. He's in jail because he had just gotten arrested on armed robbery charges. And he's facing five years for this. Look, that is not his fault. He was born with the perfect criminal name. Christopher Lorenzo? Christopher Anthony Lorenzo. That right there? Like, he guilty. His initials are Cal. (laughs) Cal sounds like 
a yacht club kind of guy. Yeah, it does. But Christopher Anthony Lorenzo sounds like his family was in the mob. He knows what to do. And he's going to do it. Well, old Cal, he didn't want to go to prison for five years at like a heavy duty prison. He wanted to go to like a she-she prison. Mm-hmm. And so he sent word out and said, hey, can you uh, get somebody in here and tell them if they send me to a nicer prison, I can tell them who killed that dentist's wife up in Woolara. I mean, I'll take a lighter sentence too, but you know, a, a better a better prison would be ideal. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'll take less years too. And so they're like, what? What you got? So this is what he says. So he writes out this like 17 page statement about what happened. Because again, he's doing this because he wants something in return. Yeah. Also, you know, he asked for like an espresso. No, I picture he asked for a cigarette. He could do both. Depends. It was 1981. I bet they could still smoke in jail. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I watch Wentworth. They probably could. (laughs) Okay. So he said he was out at the bar, the local pub. You know, it's Australia. His buddy, David Annalzark, comes up to him and says, hey, let me borrow your car. Um, I'm sorry. I could never date that guy because, uh, one. You do like anal. I do like anal. That's the only thing going for it. But uh, I couldn't, one, I couldn't spell it. Two, I couldn't say it. Well, at first, he's like, no, this is my girlfriend's car. And he's like, no, 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 just look. I need to borrow it. Just let me borrow it. And he's like, fine. I'm just going to be sitting here drinking and eating anyway. Just bring it back. I would be so mad if I was his girlfriend. Well, even madder because when old David brings it back, it's got fucking blood in it. So when Cal gets the car back and he sees all the blood, he's like, fuck, I got to clean this out before I give this back to my girlfriend. And when he's cleaning it out, he finds a gold bracelet under one of the seats. Oh, shit. And he's like, jackpot. And he said that David left the gun in the car. So he said, I'm just going to keep that for some insurance because one day this is going to come in fucking handy. And ring-a-ding-ding, today is that day. So he tells police, I can prove it. Like, I've got a bracelet that he stole from that woman. And they're like, bracelet? What bracelet? Like, we know her watch and her ring is missing. And, like, this wedding ring in 1989 was worth, like, $20,000. Fuck. So, who the fuck knows how much it would be worth now? Especially with the price of gold now. If it was gold. But, if it was fucking platinum, Jesus. So, he tells police that he had given the bracelet to his girlfriend. So, the police go to that girlfriend and they say, hey... Did he give you this? Give you a bracelet? And she's like, "Yeah, I actually still have it." And she gives it to police, who then take it to Ian. And Ian's like, "Yeah, that's her bracelet. I didn't even realize it was missing." And here's the necklace that it matches. It was like a custom set that he had had made for her, and they didn't even realize it was missing. And then police are like, "Well, what about the gun? Where's the gun?" And he's like. It's been under y'all's nose the whole time. Y'all have had that in evidence the whole time. I don't know if it was like from one of his arrests or whatever. Yeah. But they'd had it in evidence 
like in an evidence locker somewhere. And so police test this gun because the whole time they had been looking at various tools to figure out what made those like blunt force trauma marks on her head and all because they couldn't figure out what made the indentions. And so they were looking at like different tools, like in hardware stores thinking that maybe it was someone who had worked in the house and they just couldn't find anything that matched up. And he was like, no, David hit her with the butt end of the gun. Oh, so police get the gun and they test it and there's still blood on it. Damn. And so they're like, okay, now we want to wire you up. You need to set up a meeting with David and we're going to fucking wire you up and you need to get him to talk. But police don't fully trust old Cal because, I mean, he's still looking out for number one. Of course. I mean, he's trying to get a shorter sentence, a better prison, whatever. And so I thought this was pretty fucking genius. So they put him in a hotel room because he's still been in jail this whole time. So for this operation to get him having a conversation with David... They set him up in this hotel room and, of course, have cameras in it and wire it for sound and all of that. But to make sure that Christopher doesn't run, they put a cast on him. Like, a, like they put a plaster cast on his foot, like his right foot, so he couldn't run and it would make it harder for him to drive. Dang. I was like, that is fucking genius. Yeah. Who thought of that? Because give them a raise. <laughs> So the day comes and David and Christopher hang out for like three hours in this hotel room, drinking, hanging out, chatting, and Christopher slash Cal, I I should quit calling him Cal, Christopher never brings up the murder. And police are like, what the fuck? You just wasted our time. Like, what the fuck? And he's like, I'm sorry, I got really nervous. Like, I couldn't figure out a way to bring it up so he wouldn't suspect anything like it just because i don't think they had really talked in a long time and so it was just kind of like oh all of a sudden like let's talk and then oh by the by remember that woman you murdered right i know i've been in jail for a while but remember that woman you murdered right i mean i'm not trying to get off or anything but hmm but the police were like Mm -hmm. this is fucking weird Uh uh-huh so they of course they're not done Doing their digging either. Yeah. They take his this letter to this forensic analyst who analyzes the whole thing. And they talked about how it like switched between like first person and second person. And like 10 whole pages of it was a very detailed breakdown of his alibi. Mm-hmm. And it just was all like, hmm. Yeah. And that analyst said either he was there when she was murdered or he did it. Yeah. Based on like the linguistic analysis of the letter. And his name. (laughs) There you go. Donna's obsessed with his name. That is a perfect criminal name. If I'm creating a Lifetime movie, that would be the bad guy's name. Also, though, he was playing them so well to get like those hours of freedom. Mm Mm-hmm. And if they didn't check, if they really didn't do their due diligence, and that friend was, like, a criminal, too. Well, he was, though. He had, that that guy, 
And to be honest, I'm not 100% sure if that's his actual name. The only place I found that guy's name was on an episode of Case File. That's the only the only place I found that guy's actual name. So that could be an alias for mm. David. But that guy had actually just gotten out of jail for manslaughter. So it could, I mean, it, it made sense. Uh-huh. He did, a, he did it to be like... All right, they could just easily pin it on him exactly, and do whatever, and then I get a lighter sentence, or... Win-win, right? Yeah. Or I get out for three hours, however long they let me out, shoot the shit, do whatever. Get some beer. Uh-huh. God, Chris. I know. So police are on to him, and they analyze that towel, and they find some blood that there was never, from what I found like a DNA confirmation. So they did do like a type and screen on it where they figured out the, and again, nowhere said his blood type, but they said that it's only a blood type for like 3% of the population. So I'm figuring it's like AB something. Yeah. So while all this is going on, while police are gathering up all their information, because, you know, they're like, okay, it's clearly not this David guy question mark to his name but it's not him we know that christopher's pinning it on him so they're collecting the evidence to prove that it's christopher christopher is still hanging out in jail so while christopher's in jail he's in jail in like this protected housing unit for snitches because mm, they get the stitches right while he's in there Clearly, he forgot what housing unit he was in, and he starts telling his celly... Oh, God bless. ...all about the murder. Oh, my Cal, come on. And his celly goes, dee-doop-boop-boop-boop. Hey, uh, attorney, can you, uh, can you call somebody for me? Yeah, can I shave another gear off for this? Right? <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Dumbass. Damn. So, Selly wears a fucking wire and is like, so about that murder, tell me all about it. And so, when Christopher's telling him about it, he's kind of, he he's still lying. He's still minimizing his participation. Uh-huh. He's saying that there was another guy that was there and that... They were robbing the place, and Marguerite came in, and that she just started screaming. And so they hit her with a pistol, and she just would not stop screaming. So they kept hitting her. And then she passed out, and so they took her upstairs, and then she woke up again and started screaming again. Then they ended up strangling her. He was just going back and forth on the people and his involvement, and... Long story short, basically, he he told the guy that he did it, you know. But again, all the while, trying to make himself look cool to a celly, but also Uh minimizing his participation because, you know, he didn't want to, like, admit, admit, but he wants to admit. Exactly. But what he did tell the cellmate was the why. I was about to say, why? How? He had been at the house the previous year, tiling the roof as part of the renovation. Just completely random. Was one of the workers 
as part of the renovation. Wow. And told the cellmate while he was there, he asked if he could use the phone so that he could kind of see what all was in the house. And he thought they were rich. And so he had a copy of the key from when he was working there. And that's how he got in. Wow. So that theory on was it someone, was it completely random in the fact that it was a chosen house, but it was someone, you know what I mean? Like it it wasn't someone who knew her was getting revenge on her. Right. It was someone who had worked in the house before thought they were rich, was coming in to rob it, and she literally just walked in and called him. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, Ian. So, Christopher denied everything to police. Even with the confession to the celly, he still said, no, 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 I didn't do this. You know, that was just talk. And then changed the story a bunch of times to say, Oh, okay, well, actually, David made me go back to the house to clean it up to account for the blood on the towel, even though he had told his celly about like cutting his hand and using that towel to like wipe stuff down. Like, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, long story short, it went to trial. And, you know, Ian talks about how he and his girls, they were there every day of the trial. It was eight weeks, is how long that trial lasted. Good Lord. Now, Australia, do you remember when we talked about Canada with that Mr. Big stuff mm-hmm. and how the murder versus manslaughter? Yeah. So Ian touched on with this trial them having to prove murder versus manslaughter. And so I really think that it's the same because it's all that kind of crown, like UK mm-hmm. law, which is not the words I'm trying to say, but it's all that's coming to my brain right now. So basically, for them to convict him of murder versus manslaughter, they had to prove that it wasn't just a heat of the moment. She walked in and caught him robbing it, and he killed her. They had to prove that he was like attacking her and intended to kill her. And so I think that that was easily proved because he knocked her unconscious and then took her upstairs. And then when she came back to like knocked her out and then strangled her with her tied up. Like mm-hmm. he could have easily gotten away and he was like, no, she's going to recognize me. I have to kill her. Mm-hmm. And so it was a conscious decision on his part. And so it only took the jury like three hours of deliberation and they found him guilty of murder. He was sentenced to 22 years, but after 17 years, he was going to be eligible for parole. But this conviction couldn't start until he finished his conviction for the armed robbery. Mm-hmm. So he had to wait three years before he could even start the mandatory 17 years for the murder of Marguerite. The earliest he could possibly be released was 2013. But in 2011, Christopher Lorenzo died from leukemia in prison. Oh, shit. Currently, all three, Camilla, Brianna, and Skye, are all living wonderful lives as adults. They're thriving. They're married. They have kids. They have wonderful jobs. They all went finished school and 
went on to college and have done great things. Ian continued to work and is actually still friends with that partner that basically abandoned him in his hour of need. But he talks about how it was really a blessing in disguise because how the partnership was set up, he wouldn't have been able to take the time off that he needed to take. Like, okay, I have to take this time off to be able to take the girls to blah, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. And so he was able to kind of set his own schedule once the practice became his. And so it was a blessing in disguise and they're still friends. And that guy feels terrible about it and is very remorseful and, you know, they've worked it out and, but he continued to work and is now retired and still lives in the house. Hmm. That podcast I was talking about, No Filter, it was pretty cool because the host of it is a little bit older than the daughters and from the same area. And she actually like went to high school, like went to the same school as the as the daughters. Wow. And not long after the girls went back to school after the murders, Ian came and basically talked to, did like an assembly for the school to say, don't be scared of us. Yeah. We're hurting, you know, I know you're you're scared of us because you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do kind of thing, but blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to go into all of it because, I, well, one, I don't remember all of it, but two, go listen to the podcast. But she was in that assembly. And she's, wow. Yeah. And she talks about how it stuck with her. And every time she's in town and she sees that house, she wonders about Ian and how he's doing. And she got to go to the house and interview him for this episode. Wow. And it's really cool. And it's really awesome to hear him talk about. He talks a lot about kind of his spiritual journey of how he got through it. And I don't know. It was just really cool to hear from his perspective yeah so I, I definitely recommend you go and listen to that podcast wow this was a good one yeah it had so many twists and turns because you wanted to believe well you didn't want to believe but you know you were like no it ha- i mean it has to be ian like who yeah who else would it be you know because he he's even quoted saying it's it's like lightning came through the window and killed her and it's mm-hmm. gone like who did it what happened yeah well, these are scarier because it was someone so unassuming, you know, like a year ago he worked in the house. Well, and on the flip side, maybe that's not the right word for it, but so uh, so unassuming. It's just this regular family in broad daylight in her house. You know, she would mm-hmm. just come home from going to get groceries or what have you, you know, and comes home and someone's in the house. Maybe unassuming is not the right word as far as how I mean it. Yours is right. Not necessarily unassuming family, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Just a regular family. A re- you know, just a, it's just a regular day with a regular family and kids are at school, husband's at work. She's doing her thing, trying to get ready for dinner or whatever, you know, about to go pick the kids up. And, mm-hmm. you know, she comes home and everything seems normal because he had a fucking key. Yeah. I'm still not sure how he got around the security system, though. I'm not exactly sure when the security system was installed versus, I don't know. Well, yeah, because he said... The premonition was like six six months months before, before. but I don't know if... Because I don't think that was necessarily the first one, so I don't know if that was 
right when he installed the security system or if it was something they'd had for a while. The stuff made it sound like premonition security system. But if he had a key to the house as the contractor, I mean, he wasn't the contractor, but as a tile worker, I mean, stands to reason that he would know how to do the security system. Too. Right. But I wonder where he parked the truck. I'm not sure, but... Or car or whatever it was. Yeah, I'm not sure. But in that podcast, No Filter, she said, when I park on that street to go to the shops and I see the house, I think of you kind of quote something of that nature. And so I'm wondering if it's a... Even though it's residential, if there's some like shops and all close enough to it that... He could have parked there and it not look like an unfamiliar truck because yeah. there's enough unfamiliar vehicles moving in and out because of the shops. Yeah. That she wouldn't have noticed like, oh, there's a weird truck right there because right. we live on a dead end street with no neighbors, you know? Yeah. Well, because I was just thinking if it's affluent, they would probably all have garages or something, you know, so right. there wouldn't be a lot of cars just parked on the street. You know, so that's why I was like, so where did he hide it? But that makes sense. Right. And because we also don't know how, I mean, it's like East Sydney. So we don't know how city it still is right. versus how like truly like manicured suburb it yeah. is, you know, and how close the houses are. I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about, yeah. I didn't like look up the neighborhood. Well, and because even in Houston and stuff, there was a lot of street parking. Right. In totally nice areas and, you know, stuff like that that I wasn't used to. Well, and you have to think, too, it was the middle of the day. So, granted, it was his girlfriend's car, but if it looked remotely like a work truck or a, you know, if it had um, Bill's plumbing, you know, something like that on it. I mean, and it's the middle of the day and you saw it parked across the street, you'd be like, oh, well, Mr. Gene's getting some work done. You know, I mean, you wouldn't think... Anything of it, you just think, oh, okay, they got to get some work done. Right. You wouldn't think that they're, oh, they're inside ransacking my house. Yeah. It's just so funny that he tried. And, I mean, he kind of almost did trick the police into getting a lighter sentence for the robbery. And then it blew up in his face. Yeah, Christopher played his hand, but then he played it a little too Mm -hmm. handy. Yep. Like, he went all in. When he should have just raised. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good because then we wouldn't know why, how, all of that. Yeah. And thankfully, Ian and the girls have answers. Also, this is random, but I was just thinking about his girlfriend. And I wonder if people who get the trophies that killers take, like a bracelet, whatever, Do they put it in a box or do they just like, here you go? You know what I mean? Because if someone ever gave me something that was just like, here you go, be like, DNA, like, I'm going to baggy it up and go somewhere. Because, again, who who has just something? Well, I okay, a couple of things about that. One, he's a criminal. Like, he has a history of robberies. So. True. She. I forget, something said how he, what he told her he did, like where he got it. But it was like, he basically told her it was sketch, but not that sketch. Like it was Mm -hmm. like, 
like it, it fell off a truck kind of thing, N- not it fell off a dead woman's wrist, you right. know? So she knew it wasn't going to be like case jewelers, you know? Right. But also, if you get it from like a pawn shop or something, does it come in a box? So, you know, like if he says like, oh, hey, I was at the pawn shop today and I found this and I got it for you, would it come in a box? So would you be like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I'd still be sketch on that. I don't know. All right. Well, you know how I was skeptical of Ian's innocence, your whole story? Mm-hmm. You're going to be skeptical of my story from the beginning. And it's okay, because this story is spoopy. And, well, just take a listen. So it's different than your other stories, how? <laughs> oh. oh, it's going to be real bad. Okay. <laughs> Picture it, Loveland, Ohio, which is the suburbs of Cincinnati, basically, like 15 miles northeast of Cincinnati. This story starts May 1955. It was a night just like any other night. There was a traveling salesman, and he was, you know, in his car uh, traveling, And at this point, he was just kind of leaving the suburbs of Loveland, Ohio, where there wasn't a lot of streetlights, so it was pretty dark. And as he was crossing a bridge along the Little Miami River, his headlights kind of flash over something large. First, thinking it was a person on the bridge, he pulled over, stopped his car, but when he looked closer, he noticed it wasn't a person or human at all. And it wasn't just one, but it was three of them. These creatures were caught up in their own conversation, but it wasn't really audible for the salesman. And the closer he looked at them, trying to figure out what he was actually witnessing, the details became more and more clear. So after studying the three creatures while they conversated for about three minutes, the salesman still couldn't wrap his head around what his eyes were seeing. Something had to be wrong with him. It's really late. It's like three in the morning. So, you know, he just needs sleep. This could not be real life because what he saw was something he had never even dreamt could be real. The creatures were about three to four feet tall and their skin was all leathery. Their hands and feet were webbed, and they had frog-like heads. What? The only thing kind of resembling anything humanoid was that they had deep wrinkles or deep crevices in their leathery skin where their head would be on their head. So that makes me think of like how Ken dolls had their hair painted on, but it had that texture Mm -hmm. in it, like that. So frog hands... Mm-hmm. Frog legs. Mm-hmm. Frog bodies. Human head. No. And what head? A frog-like head. Okay. Just standing up in yes. a circle talking. Yes. They're like three to four feet tall. Okay. <laughs> well, the salesman didn't really know what to do with the scene that was displayed out in front of him. But suddenly, one of the frog-like creatures held up this metal pole that looked like a wand of some kind. And before the salesman 
could get a better look at it. Sparks flew from one end of the wand. So he was like, boy, bye, don't want to die. And off he went. Also, the wand thing, all I could picture was the wand that you can win on, I think, Mario 3, when you defeat one of the little villains. And then, like, the wand, you get it and you, like, fall through space or some shit. Yes, and it goes, (laughs) (laughs) like that. But not that, that at all. That sounds but like that, what the fox says. It did a little. <laughs> but yes, that's all I could picture for that fucking wand. Anyway, this story is the origin story of what has now become known as the Loveland Frogman. All I can picture when you're talking about these like frogs sitting up, talking to one another, is this book I had when I was a kid. And it was The Frog and Toad are Friends. And it's like, well, a frog and a toad sitting there. Talking, like, hmm. Frogs <laughs> listening to the toad read a book. <laughs> Why wouldn't they be friends? I mean, I would imagine that they're arch nemesis nemesis Anyway, <laughs> nemesis whatever that word is, of one another, because they're so similar that they hate one another. Mm. So they become friends because they see their similarities. I don't fucking know. I don't remember the book. I just remember <laughs> the cover. But basically, that cover is, like, what I picture, too. It's, like, the frog prints. That's what I keep picturing. Yeah. Well, the next recorded sighting would be on March 3rd, 1972. It was in the wee hours of the night slash morning. It was, like, 1 a.m. And, again, that was something similar to what the first sighting had. Remember, it was 3 a.m. The witching hour. (laughs) Maybe a witch turned a prince into a frog, and it's a conference of a bunch of princes who are now frogs. (laughs) I watch Disney. Okay, so would you, I know you're going to be like, Colby is my prince. Whatever. Act like Colby isn't around. He doesn't exist. You do not know him. Or if you kiss one of these things, Colby would appear. Would you kiss this three to four foot leathery skin Frog man? If I thought well, if I thought it was Colby? Sure. Yeah. I couldn't. If it was like, if you kiss me, I'll turn into your Prince Charming. No, couldn't do it. Well, here's the thing. I mean, it would take a lot of proof because I'm pretty much a cynic. I mean, have you met me? So they would have to do a lot to make me believe that, you know, they're not just tricking me. But like, you don't know Colby. I'm saying that he doesn't exist, but because he is your Prince Charming, <laughs> that's who it would turn into. So there's no proof. It's just that long tongue looking. Ew. Uh, <laughs> I mean. Like it has to be on the mouth. Like for how long? And do I have to use their nasty tongue? Like, can it just be like a peck? You can't use their tongue. They could kill you with that thing. Okay. So it could just be like, a, and I'm done. Yeah. Oh, I could do that. Oh, I couldn't. Lots of vodka. Uh, well, I can't drink. True. Fucking <laughs> blood thinners. An edible? <laughs> <laughs> Donna, why's your blood count weird? Um, well, uh, see, I had a brownie. <laughs> it was very organic. I didn't know. <laughs> I had to kiss this three to four foot tall leathery creature that had Kendall like hair. And a Mario wand. But they said that they were my Prince Charming. <laughs> I had to give him a chance. 
Oh, God. That... I give all the other frogs a chance. Why not them? I was going to say, uh, yeah, it is frogs. I was going to say, no, those are toads, but you're right. I mean, I feel like that's semantics at this point. Well, frog and toad are friends. I'm that's saying the with thing. the schmucks that you date. Oh. <laughs> Date's a strong word. Well, the appointments that you have. <laughs> All right, back to this story. There is an officer, Ray Shockey, on patrol heading toward Loveland. And he was driving slowly because it had rained earlier that day and the cool temperatures made the roads icy. And he was about to go over a bridge, so, you know, he slowed down even more. Well, just then, he thought a dog had ran out in front of him, so he peered closer to the road to try to get his eyes to adjust But that's when he saw something that was low to the ground like it was crouching. Then it stood up on its two legs and the eyes of the creature glowed in his headlight beams. So he, of course, parked the car because what the fuck is going on right then? He said that he and the creature locked eyes for a minute before it turned and climbed over the guardrail and disappeared below into the little Miami River. Well, Ray Shockey, he went back to the police station and reported what he had just saw, which was a creature that looked like a frog or a lizard without a tail, complete with leathery-looking skin. It stood about three or four feet tall, and he said it had to weigh at least 50 pounds, but could have been up to 70. Then he and one more officer went back out to search for the creature. However, all they found were distinct scratch marks on the guardrail, right where the creature had went over, and the smell of alfalfa and almonds. Who the fuck knows what alfalfa smells like? Girl, I was like, maybe in the 1950s, y'all did other stuff. I don't know. Would they fucking have that smell thing from Richie Rich? I don't know. Never saw the movie. How in the fuck have you never seen Richie Rich? Because I'm not Richie Rich. Classic Macaulay Culkin, man. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Man. (laughs) (laughs) his inventor guy created this gun that you like point and it smells and it tells you what it is Mm. and that's what saved his parents life lives what did it smell a bomb it said bomb no it said like whatever like the parts of it is okay i was about to be like hold on now No, no no it said um I don't know, whatever the parts of a bomb are. I don't fucking know. I'm not that smart. That's why I didn't invent it. (laughs) And his dad was like, wait a tick. That's the parts of a bomb. Ah, Wait a tick. They didn't say that. And then they jumped out of the plane, and that's how they survived, and they thought they had died. And then the thing was like, dad, not found. Dad, not found. Because he had GPS on his dad, like, before Life 360 was a thing. Nope, never saw it. All right, well... Ray Shockey, he reached out to his sister. Sister was found. And um, (laughs) he wanted her to illustrate what he had seen. So he told her, and it was like, you know, she's an artist. So she sketched it out. And it's pretty famous for the Loveland Frogman. Fast forward two weeks, actually on St. Patrick's Day. And the officer who had went out searching for the creature with Shockey had his own encounter. This officer's name was Mark Matthews. 
So picture Officer Matthews driving on the outskirts of Loveland, and he saw an animal in the middle of the road. It was low to the ground, so he thought it might be injured or dead, so he pulled over because he was going to remove it from the road. Such a gentleman. But seriously, like, thank you. Well, when he opened his door, that startled the animal. So it leapt up from laying on the ground into a crouched position. So picture a frog or like a position like a football player or a sumo wrestler, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Well, the animal turned out to be reptilian in nature. And Mark Matthews was sure this is what his brother in blue was talking about earlier in the month. The creature then stood straight up from the crouched position and made his way over to the guardrail, lifted one of those long legs up to the top of the guardrail, and just as he was about to press off on it and disappear into the little Miami again, a shot rang out over the quiet night. Mark Matthews had tried to kill the frogman. He wanted proof to show Shockey and get confirmation that this was a creature he had seen as well. However, he either only injured the creature or missed completely, and over the guardrail, the frogman leapt and escaped into the night. There is a version of this story that Mark Matthews does kill the creature and took him back to Shockey, and he confirmed it was similar, but I found that like once and everything else that it got away so many more times. Another incident with the frogman, or rather a group of them, there is a farmer who had lived in the area his whole life, and he reported that there was a time in the early, early morning he was inspecting his fields, and he saw three creatures gathered around, and they all made eye contact for a minute. His description is that they had large, circular eyes, their skin was pale and greenish-gray, And they all had wide mouths that looked to be full of sharp teeth. After their stare-off, the creatures turned and took off and disappeared into the Little Miami River. Because, yep, the farmer's land was close to that infamous river. Okay, so remember Mark Matthews. In 1999, he recanted his story about the frogman. He said what he saw was a very large iguana. It had to be like a pet iguana that had escaped from the home or the owners got tired of it because it was too big or something. Like, that's what it was. It was not on its hind legs. It was not whatever. That's a very different story there, Mark. Uh Uh-huh. And why would he recant his story 20 years later, you know? A lot of people say that both officers were the butt of many a joke, and Mark Matthews thought he could never escape the notoriety of being the frogman guy because he eventually left the Loveland Police Department and served for several different counties. But then he moved to Florida, where some would still seek him out and ask him about the frogman incident. And we all know, like, one thing happens— And you never let someone live it down, you know? And so Mm -hmm. it's like, go ask Mark, who's he? You know, the frogman guy. And maybe he just didn't want it anymore. I don't know. Maybe he lied about it. He really did lie about it. And 
he wanted to, you know, be in the limelight for that little bit, but then it became too much. And it's like, oh my God, I don't feel like lying anymore. And here you go. I, I don't know. And that would be the last of the sightings for a while until August 2016. A young couple was playing Pokemon Go. And I was like, 2016? No way it was out in 2016. But it totally was. But like, I feel like I just played that a little bit ago. Remember when I was like obsessed? Mm-hmm. That was 2016. Yeah, that's five years ago. Mm-hmm. So the boyfriend of the couple was the outspoken one. And his name is Sam Jacobs. He said they were hunting, you know, trying to catch them all. But when they crossed these train tracks, both he and his girlfriend saw a huge frog near the water. When they were like, oh no, this cannot be the frog man. Like right when they were just, you know, like, yeah, is this happening to us? You know, that kind of thing. The giant frog stood up and walked on its hind legs. So they're like, holy shit, it is the Frogman. They describe the creature as being very frog-like and about four feet tall. Sam even stopped playing the game to take some pictures and a video of the creature. And if you don't believe Sam, he for real says, and I quote, I swear on my grandmother's grave, this is the truth. But not to anyone's surprise, maybe his grandmother, it all turned out to be a hoax. And I don't know if they were in on the hoax or they fell victim to the hoax. I don't know. But it was a high schooler in a homemade frog costume. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can see the picture because it's like in the dark. And so it has like glowing eyes. They look like little flashlights, you know, for the eyes mm -hmm. and the silhouette. But... I mean, I would have fell for it. Trust me, I would have. Yeah, it sounds like they were taken. Yeah. I mean, he he swore on his grandmother's grave. But on the other hand, when someone's telling you, this is the truth. Uh-huh. Look, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. They're not fucking telling you the truth. Right. Joke's on us. His grandmother was cremated. <laughs> his grandma's alive. True, true. But, you know, grandmas always have their headstones already up. Headstones up, funerals paid for. Uh-huh. Me, I'm like, am I going to have a retirement? <laughs> I'm like, am I going to have groceries? Same. Same. When I think about how long you have to work to get to retirement, I'm like, how does someone do that? Also, I'm exaggerating about the groceries thing. Yeah. I'm very thankful for everything I have. Yeah. But seriously, when I think about how long... Like, oh, my God, I have 30 years left yeah. of student loan debt. Me, too. <laughs> no, thankfully not that. But yes, I'm legitimately going to be like 85 paying my student loans off. And right when you only have like a thousand left to pay. I'm going to die. Well, God, no, I'm not that morbid. I was going to say they're going to be like, and we forgive all loans. Be like, motherfucker. Yeah, that too. I don't want you to die. Well, it's going to happen, Donna. One day. Well, hopefully I die before you. Well, shit. <laughs> well, that took a turn. All right. But even though that sighting was a hoax, the city of Loveland really embraced their cryptid. 
They have annual events where they do 5Ks and shit. And there was a musical that premiered in May 2014 that was all about the Loveland Frogman. And it was titled, Hot Damn, It's a Loveland Frog. Okay, so something worth mentioning on WeekendWeird.com, which is a website you know I love because it's from the Newkirks, they report that indigenous people had a story of their own creature that reflects the frogman. So the origin story might not have actually been the origin story. It might have went back to the Shawnee tribe because they believed in and heavily feared this immortal creature that they called Shawnahook. Hopefully said that right, which supposedly translates to river demon. The description of the creature is a large reptile that could walk on two legs, and its home was along the Little Miami River. These demons were believed to guard the riverbanks, and if they were injured, because they were immortal, they would just dive deep into the river and hide out until they recovered. The Shawnees were forced to go to war, and so they sent their bravest and best warriors who successfully exiled the water demons out of their territory, and they were forced to go into hiding to restore their health. So that could show that, okay, it didn't start in the 1950s. It could have started way long ago, like 1600s. And another thing to mention, though, And here's where it's like, oh, this probably has a lot to do with it. The first sighting that we know of, for sure, that was like documented, all the things. It took place in 1955. But a lot of the skeptics point out that the year before, the creature from the Black Lagoon had come out. And so it might have just been on everyone's mind. And it's easy to make those claims that seem larger than life, you know, who knows. But one thing to keep in mind is that Ohio has a lot of rivers, watersheds, wetlands, all water activities, apparently, I don't know. And because of that, they have some of the most biodiversity of plants and animals in the U.S. So if you think about that and how we're still so unaware of so many species that live in the water, it's possible that Ohio really is home to a really big lizardy frog who just happens to walk on two feet. It's a stretch, but it's there. I mean, it's a stretch, but it's there. <laughs> but also, shout out to Randy and Shannon. They're creepsters, and they live in Ohio. When I thought about doing this cryptid, I asked Randy if this was something good to cover because it's a small story. You know, it's a short story. And again, like, it's more spoopy. It's not, you know, like... It's not black-eyed kids. Right. Or, like, skinwalkers or, you know, something that's just like, holy shit. He didn't even know what it was. And so he asked Shannon. He was like, okay. Like, she's got to know because she loves cryptids. And it's their state. You know, they live in Ohio. She didn't know. So this is dedicated to y'all. Hope y'all learned something about your state. And now you have a new favorite cryptid, hopefully. And that's all I have on the Loveland Frogman. Or Frogmen. I mean, they were having a conference. They were having a conference. Or, I mean, frog people. I mean, frog. We don't know if they were all men. 
That is very true. Frog things. Also, though, iguanas and stuff get up to four feet long. Yeah. Like, they're real fucking big. <sighs> yeah, like in Florida and shit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's scary. Yeah, I want no part of that. Mm-mm. So I wonder if there really are, because they, there really is a lot of water and different things with Ohio. So if they do have like this really large lizard, I don't know, maybe, hell, I don't know. I'm just trying to think how it stands up. They have this really large lizard that's been seen like three times. I don't buy it. Yeah. All these years and it's been seen like three times. No way. That's true. Very true. I mean, even a fucking alligator's been seen more than that. You know what I mean? An alligator, it's like this elusive alligator that is 20 years old or whatever that's grown huge and it's like the one that everybody wants to catch. Yeah. So forth and so on. Like, even that, I mean, more people have seen. Well, yeah, because it's not a cryptid. True. I'm just saying, I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy it either. What? I know, right? Mainly because I'm really scared if that exists because that sounds really gross. Yeah, you mostly just hope it doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm like, everything else, totally believe. This, ooh, ooh. You're literally just like willing this to not exist. Yeah. Mm-mm. Don't, ugh. I don't like little frogs. I don't like little tree frogs. I don't like... Toads, I don't like You know, come to think of it, there was a frog inside work today that Kim got out. Because they knew you wouldn't believe. They did. They said, we will find you. (laughs) Also, at the doctor's office today, there was a lizard that was dead in the fluorescent light. I was like talking and you know me. I'm like, is that a lizard up there? (laughs) Because it was like how it was shaped. She said, yeah, it just, um, it's dead. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, can you can you fucking can call someone, maintenance? Yeah, I'm like, Ugh. she said it's been there for a while. Uh uh-uh, uh, no, ma'am, call someone. Ugh. No, that's not okay. I'm oh sorry. My gosh. No, but of course I'm like, so here's what's going. on. Is that a lizard? <laughs> but also, I knew I was doing this, and so I'm like, what the fuck? Because last night Tiffany said lizard and frog, and I was like, oh my god, what's going on? Ugh. But it's hard for me to keep a secret, y'all. And so I really want to be like, oh, my God, I'm doing my story on this. But I didn't say anything. So proud of you. Thank you. Had to wait a full day. (laughs) So long. I don't know how you survived. I know. Also, it must be said that Marguerite, from your story, the whole time you're saying her name, all I'm picturing is Ever After, one of my favorite movies, because that was the stepsister's name, the blonde one. Because mm-hmm. I've never heard that name other than, like, that. Well, your story was a nice little kind of end to that terribleness. So sad. So fucking random and sad. But on the flip side, not random. Because he had worked there and he had chosen them. But then, also, why then? Why that day? Why Why that day? Yeah, he waited a year. That's why I say random with that. You know, it's just like he had to have been on several different jobs since then. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, so it's like, what? 
I'll tell you what, not victim blaming, but Marguerite did not knock on wood when she said, you know, our life is too perfect. It was like she knew, huh? Mm-hmm. That's why I thought it was Ian. Not just because of that, but like, I feel like if I wasn't happy in it or if I wanted out or whatever, and someone's like, it's like our life is so perfect. And it's like, no, bitch, it's not. And so then that would like trigger me to to do it. To then, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, it's him. Like, that was the thing to be like, haha, I'm going to show you. But no, no, it, their life was perfect and they were happy. Mm-hmm. And all the things that usually isn't the case. Right. Yeah. No, they they truly were. They truly loved each other. They truly had a happy marriage with no problems. Yeah. I mean, of course, they argued and, you know, had yeah. normal couple things. But, right. I mean, that's being in a relationship with literally any human that you're that close to. I literally posted that I yell at my robot vacuum. And yes, I did say first world problems because I know how that sounds. But I yell at it because it goes over the same spot multiple times. Whatever. So that's an, well, it's not an inanimate object, but it's a fucking object. Mm-hmm. And I have issues with it. So, yeah. Yeah, but you got issues. I got lots of issues, but you got them too. I know this is why we work. Because I can tell you, you got fucking issues. I thought you were going to finish the song. Yeah, but I didn't feel like singing. I just, la, 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 la. Don't, I don't have the voice tonight. <laughs> well, hopefully y'all love us in spite of our issues. Maybe because of our issues. I was going to say, you may love us because of the issues. Because, well, you got them too. (laughs) I'll tell you mine and you tell me yours or whatever the words are that Donna wanted me to sing. Well, never mind. Now we know why she didn't sing it, y'all. Well, we really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you laughed a little with my story because we needed it after Carrie's. And it's so wrong to say this, but it wasn't as sad as yours have been so it seemed like a break mm-hmm. kind of but it's like no 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 it's murder and a whole family is it's different yeah and luckily ian had a background in psychology and was able to help them and you know so they could be the best that they could be but in my mind it's like oh okay like Oh, okay. Because yours have been so heavy lately. Yeah. Well, I really do recommend y'all listening to that podcast that I talked about, No Filters, because it was really good listening to that like firsthand account from Ian and his perspectives on how he dealt with the trauma and, you know, his, just his whole, from the time he got the call, like it's, it's really good. So I really yeah. do recommend listening to that. Wow. Well, thank y'all so much for supporting us. We really, truly appreciate it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review. You know the drill, all the things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.